Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. Welcome to episode 63 of the School of Wellbeing podcast. I'm Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator and coach, and I work with big-hearted educators that are ready to prioritize their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Energy by Design is my game-changing wellbeing program for educators. Over four weeks, you have access to a space to connect, share, laugh and learn with others that get it and are ready to reclaim their spark. Join the waitlist to be the first to know when enrolments open. I'm thrilled to announce that in the coming months, I will be offering educators that have completed Energy by Design with access to a private online community. This will be an empowering space that provides ongoing support, education and accountability for big-hearted educators that are committed to experiencing more energy, clarity and confidence. What did you do to celebrate and honour the end of your schooling? For me, it was schoolies, a long-awaited two-week trip to Byron Bay with a group of friends. At the time, schoolies was a normal and expected rite of passage. Looking back on it now, I am so grateful that nothing happened to me or my friends that changed our lives forever. And to be honest, I don't think that was due to making good choices. I think that was more good luck. Today's guest, Dr. Anna Rubenstein, spent years working as a doctor in emergency medicine in Byron Bay and was disturbed by how many teenagers and young adults he saw there. He realized they were caught in a world between child and adult and their actions were often having disastrous long-term consequences. Through his research, Anna discovered that for thousands of years, Indigenous communities around the world had recognised how critical it was to create a process to support the coming of age of boys and girls. Anna realised that understanding the transitions of life was the missing link and the key to wellbeing, so he left his successful medical career to work full-time creating rites of passage programs. Anna is the founder and CEO of the Rites of Passage Institute a best-selling author and an internationally recognized expert on rites of passage and adolescent development. Anna has become a global leader in reintroducing healthy rites of passage around the world and runs successful rites of passage programs for teenagers and delivers cutting-edge leadership training in Australia and internationally for over 30 years. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of rites of passage in our life and how they can transform us from one stage of life to the next, the challenges we face in our society to appropriately manage these transitions, the positive transformation that can occur when we celebrate and honour the transitions of life and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Anna Rubenstein. Anna, welcome to the School of Wellbeing. Nice to be here. Today we're going to be talking about rites of passage. Why do you think this is such an important topic to cover? Well, first of all, a rite of passage is a transformation. It's an event that happens in our lives that's kind of a one-way street, and we transform from one stage to the next. So we transform from being a child to becoming a young adult. If we become a parent, that's a transformation. When our own parents pass away, that's a transformation. And all of these events should be handled in the best way possible. And when they're not, it has long consequences. And I believe we're just not managing these events. And and we see it most clearly in our teenagers. But I think that the implications of what happens in those years 
play out right through our lives and I think we could just be doing it very, very differently. It is so powerful to think about this idea of transitions and how transitions never finish. We talk a lot about primary school to secondary school, but as you say, it's a transition to becoming a parent. Once you become a parent, there's no going back. That's right. But how how many people become a parent in a really beautiful, um, supported, uh, healthy way or for how many people is it actually traumatic? I remember speaking to my mother. She became a parent on her own in London. My, my father was working in, in hospitals and she just said it was the most difficult time of her life sitting there on her own with a baby, not knowing what to do, having no support, and it was a really difficult time. And it shouldn't be like that. And, and we think of so many of the transitions when you start looking into it that people go through that are just very different to how they could be. And probably very different to how we think they should be in their mind. I'm thinking about my transition into teaching and becoming a teacher. In my mind, I had expectations of Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, Dangerous Minds. I had these expectations that I was going to change the world and I was going to have an impact from day one. But I didn't have any idea about the reality of being a teacher. And once you step into that classroom, you realize that it's very different to what you had in mind. And how did you find that? Completely overwhelming. It's like, oh, I thought I knew what I was doing and now I'm stepping in here. I didn't realize what it would feel like to be responsible for the hearts and minds of my students. I didn't take that into consideration at all because I hadn't had experience with that before. And also talking to parents. I was 21 when I started in the classroom and I remember that first week having a conversation with parents who were going through their own transition in separation and it was so hard for me to be on the phone to them because I just did not know how to handle it. It's like, gosh, I thought the student part was complex. Now trying to decipher who to contact first in these parents, it's a whole other ballgame. And it's all just a lack of awareness and conscious sort of evolution It's so interesting that you mentioned that. The one I talk about the most is the child becoming a young adult or becoming an adult. And and I've asked literally thousands of people about what was their event that marked their transition from child to adult. And I would say at least 90, 95% tell me a really, really disappointing, tragic, emotionally challenging story that involves something bad happened to them, whether it was a they got kicked out of home or uh, they had a car crash or they lost their virginity in a bad way or they got pregnant or they um, got married too young to the wrong person or, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And then occasionally I hear someone who tells a beautiful story of family and community coming together and honouring them and sharing stories and creating a supportive process and it's just so different. And having been a doctor for you know over 20 years I realized that so much of what I was treating in older people actually resulted from issues that started when they were teenagers and sort of tied into inappropriate rites of passage and that if we had actually done something that it was positive for them at that age their whole lives could have been different and right down to the fact that we now have schoolies as one of the major rites of passage for our young people, which I just think is a disaster. 
you know, I worked as an emergency medicine doctor in Byron Bay during schoolies for many years and I just saw a procession of young people who'd done things that they would regret for the rest of their lives and we're calling that their rite of passage. When you think about that, and I was one of those year 12s who went to schoolies at Byron Bay and I was there for two weeks, stepping back from that, and if that's our rite of passage, there's something seriously wrong with our culture. Well, there is something seriously wrong with our culture. And, you know, do you want your children to end up at schoolies drunk, availability to, to all drugs, no supervision, exhausted, vulnerable? It's a major recipe for disaster. And I actually think we have actually have a responsibility. This comes back into the culture and ties into the education system where there is a shift happening and it needs to happen because an academic result is only a small part of what we should be getting from our, you know, our education system. And it's actually beholden on the entire community. So not just the school, the school, the family, the extended period to be supporting our young ones so that their period of time at school and living at home with us is one when they transform from a child to a young adult so that when they actually go out into the world, when they start teaching, when they do these things, they're actually genuinely prepared for what lies ahead and they have the 21st century life skills and they have the support network and they have the appropriate knowledge so they can actually do it well and it's not an overwhelming and traumatic experience. So why do you think we struggle so much with this idea of transitions and moving from one space in time to the next? So I'll just diverge slightly and and say that the two years of COVID that we had didn't actually create the problems that have happened in our society, but they've really highlighted a lot of them. And the other thing it's done is it's given people like me permission to just say what we actually believe and think and not have to be polite. And it really tie, it really comes back to a whole cultural issue. And I look at life, one of the models I use is talking about life as being like a staircase. And each step represents an, the next stage in life from baby to child to teenager to young adult, grown up, maybe parent, community leader, elder, and finally passing on. And there's different versions of the staircase. Ideally, each step would be marked by an appropriate rite of passage. And as you move up each step, you get more respect and you take on more responsibility and, you know, you you actually embrace the steps as you move up. We live in a community that instead of honouring and respecting elders, worships youth. And so everybody wants to stay down the staircase. We want to stay low on the staircase and be forever young. So already built into the system is a major error. It's interesting that in the traditional communities, it was the elders who got the most respect. And when we move up the staircase, it's not just the child moves up one step from child to to young adult. At the same time as the child needs to move up, their parents also need to move up a step from being full-time parenting, knowing everything that goes on with their child, actually letting them go, supporting them to make their own decisions, mentoring. But that also means the parent moves more towards elderhood. And when I've studied rites of passage around the world, I can't realise it's a whole community process so that it's not just the child moving up a step. The whole community is progressively 
moving up the staircase. Now, our staircase has some major blockages on it. When people don't want to become elders, there's this denial of it. There's all these things now built in with consumerism and the ability to buy flashy cars and plastic surgery and everything. So we're not actually managing properly the whole evolutionary process, if that makes sense. And that just creates major blockages. And at every step, it's not celebrated in the right way. I mean, I look at what happens with women. Two of the major, major transition times in a woman's life, menstruation and menopause, are still shrouded in shame and secrecy. How can that be okay? You know, I mean, I'm a man and most of my work is done in men's work, but I have been fortunate to be also involved with a degree of women's work and I'm 58 and a lot of my, well, my partner and friends I know are in, in their 50s and the whole menopause thing is just managed so badly and also so many girls or young women or women talk about their experience with menstruation and how badly that's managed and it's just, it's crazy. So much of what you say really highlights our inability to take the next step as individuals taking that next step in safe, secure ways, but then also as people further up the steps as adults, allowing our young people to take that step and for us to continue to step away and to change our role because it's almost like this dance we're all in because everyone's moving, everyone's growing, and everyone has different things to offer at different times. And if we're constantly trying to stay on one step in one role, it sounds like that's where challenges really start to arise. Yeah, my brother is a plastic surgeon. He's booked out two years ahead to do things to make people who are on one step look and feel like they're half a dozen steps lower down. And, you know, there is something crazy about that. And I think it's really important when we have these discussions that we don't just talk about the problems. We have to be able to identify the problems. But we also have the ability to be creating beautiful rites of passage. And, and when I studied communities all around the world, they all did it and they all did it in the same way. They used the same basic recipe, but then it would be different. It would have different flavors in the different cultures, but the core recipe was the same. In a nutshell, periodically, people of all ages would take time out, stories would be shared. You'd actually have multi-generations come together so that the young could hear the stories of the elders and the, and the elders could hear the stories of the even elders and the, the stories would be shared and there would be time out to look at uh, where we're at in life, where we know where, what are we moving to, how do we want to be in that next stage, you know, what's, what's our calling, you know, what's there for us and how can we do that well and what do we need to let go of. And if we do that well, I mean, it is a bit more complicated than that, but it's also actually quite simple when we understand it. When we do that well, it is just so earth-shatteringly powerful. You know, we get young men together with older men and the young men get to hear the stories of the older men. We get young men together with older women and the young women or the girls get to hear the stories of the older women. They get to hear from those women 
what it was like for them when they were teenagers, what it was like for them when they started getting into relationships, what it was like for them having sex when they were younger. I mean, if we don't have those conversations, they're all getting their education from their mobile phones and watching porn and believing it's real and believing that's how they're supposed to be because they're all got access to it. Imagine just women in their 40s, 50s and 60s getting together and having women's groups and and the older women being able to talk about their experiences at all stages, including, you know, when they went through menopause and it could all just be done so much better and so beautifully. We have the ability to do it. And what I'm seeing in my work, which I've been involved in for 30 years now, is that more and more people are saying, hey, what about we actually celebrate our life transitions rather than trying to deny them. I mean, who wants a bloody 40-year-old man who's a father of three still acting like a teenager, still thinking it's all about him, still thinking he's the centre of the universe, going out with other women or being inappropriate or all that sort of stuff? We basically live in an immature adolescent society and we, we really need to be owning up to that and doing things differently. Yes, there's so much power in acknowledging which step we're on and where, which step we're going to yeah. and then allowing the space for our young people to develop. And that idea of removing ourselves from our traditional environment and being together in story, that really is life transforming for people to hear someone's story and think, oh, I thought it was just me oh, you felt like that when you were my age? It's really powerful. What we find, and, you know, I'll talk a lot about teenagers because that's where I work with a lot, but in working with teenagers, I'm doing my own work and I'm working with other men and women my age, younger, older, and the majority of teenagers are struggling and the majority of teenagers think that they are the only ones who are struggling and everybody else has got it sorted out. And when they hear the stories of elders who had similar struggles and even of their peers who also have struggles, it's so powerful. And actually the elements of a rite of passage are completely translatable into our modern context, which is, as we've mentioned, having a separation. We have to go away from our normal environment. You can't do it in the schoolroom or in your lounge room. It is about taking time out. And that time out can be anywhere from half a day to a month. doesn't matter. But it's about getting that time out. It's about not only hearing the stories of others, but actually looking at our own stories. We all have a story that drives our, our inner values and our beliefs, which then drive all of our actions and decision-making. So we all have that story. And when we get to look at that story, we, we, we realise that a lot of our story actually came to be when we were seven, eight years old. Someone told us we weren't good enough or someone told us we were stupid or someone told us we were never going to amount to anything or someone touched us or did something to us that was not okay but we thought it was our fault. Everybody has a story and, in fact, I do a lot of work in girls' schools now and I see the stories that these girls have taken on at six, eight, ten years of age which are then being fed through Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok about how they're supposed to look, how their boobs are supposed to be, how they're supposed to act, how they're supposed to dance, how they're supposed to whatever, and they believe it and it doesn't get challenged. 
So they leave school and they go out into the world believing this stuff and believing that if they're not like what they see, for example, online, if they're not that way, they believe they have a problem instead of actually just realizing that who they are is incredible, you know, is already beautiful and special and that each person is unique and has their own gifts and genius and spirit. And so when we separate them from their normal environment, let them share their stories and hear the stories of others, let them create a vision for how they want to be in the future. And when each each individual is actually honoured and recognised and we tell them what we admire and love about them, what we're proud of them, and we, we name their genius and their spirit and their gifts, that is a life-changing event for them. And we can be doing that. Absolutely we can be doing that. So you know, that, that is the sort of the, the basis of a rite of passage, separating people from their normal environment, sharing and hearing stories. There's also a challenge involved, which I can talk about, creating a vision for the future and then a recognition of the gifts, the genius and the spirit of each individual, that will create a transformational process. And that's allowing them space to think about their thinking, to feel their feelings and become connected to self in a world that is all about disconnection, looking to others all the time. It provides a beautiful, powerful space of I am a human with these stories, with these thoughts, with these feelings, and that's okay. This is me, and we don't get enough examples of that in the world of how it is to be human in this lifetime. Part of that that opportunity to reflect on our own stories is to be able to go, oh, when I was seven years old, the bully in the playground said to me that I was an idiot, and I've spent the last 15, 20 years thinking, deep down that I'm an idiot or I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy, but actually it's not true and it doesn't equate to my life now, I can actually see that and go, that's ridiculous, and let it go. But if I never take the time out and I don't even see it, but somewhere inside me there's a little voice going, you're not good enough, you're an idiot, you know, play small, then that's what I'm going to do. So we need time where we turn off mobile phones, when we're removed from the normal environment, when everything can just slow down and we can go, okay, what's been going on? Who am I? Who do I want to, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to do on the next step? What do I want to do? Not, not what am I being told by parents or school or university or friends that I should do according to them, but what do I want to do? And what do I need to let go of? What belief systems did I pick up 10, 20 years ago that just are inappropriate and don't serve me? They may have served me then. They may have been good protective mechanisms, but they're just not appropriate now. And so what do I need to let go of? And also what behaviours do I do that don't work? You know, I've done this sort of work and I realise, wow, I've got a critical side. And that critical side, when I get critical of other people, just doesn't work, doesn't serve me. And it came back from a time when I was very young and it it might have served me then, but it sure as hell doesn't serve me at 58 years of age. My role now is to be more loving and to support people and mentor them and they can work out their own problems. They don't need me to be bloody looking for them and telling them. It really highlights how some of these stories we have 
were functional at one period of time or a certain way of behaving were functional. So I'm thinking back to the example you shared about the father with three kids still acting like he's in year 12 and maybe when he was in year 12 in the football team, that was kind of functional, its own kind of way, that sense of belonging. But now it's not working for them anymore and getting to that point where we can identify that, yeah, it got me to this point, but it's not going to get me where I want to go. That is exactly right. And look, you look at the whole, you know, the mothering thing. You know, so many boys brought up and they have a beautiful, loving mother who does everything for them, who tells them how wonderful and fabulous they are and who cooks their food, picks up their clothes, runs them around and is just there 100% of the time. for Fabulous. We would want that for every child. But then if that boy and mother don't go through a healthy separation and if the mother tries to hold on to her beautiful boy once he's a teenager and when he's in his 20s and 30s and still mothering him and doesn't let go and the boy doesn't actually get to go out there and do his own thing and make his mistakes and learn from them and there's always somewhere there, someone there to protect him and pick him up, then there's a really good chance that that boy, when he becomes into the adult world, then actually looks for a mother or expects his woman to be his mother. Instead of looking for a healthy relationship between masculine and feminine, when you actually have a man who's looking for a mother and puts himself as more important than his partner and remains incredibly selfish and self-centred, it just doesn't work. It's a disaster. And it's being recognised. Over 50% of marriages are now ending in divorce and the majority of them are now precipitated by the women who are going, I just don't want to be with a boy. What the? It's just ridiculous. I've already got three children. I don't need another one to pick up after. (laughs) That's right. And who needs to be told how wonderful he is all the time and when I come to bed exhausted because I've been looking after the kids all day, he wants me to be there for him in it's just it's just madness and then as you share that story I can really understand the woman's potential stories of don't be difficult just don't rock the boat be available and I can understand the man's story of well I've never had to pick up my towel why are you expecting me to pick up my towel I've never even had to think about putting a load of washing on why are you expecting me to do these things that it's not a part of my worldview so Both people in the dynamic have set up certain ways of functioning and they don't realise that that's unhelpful probably at both ends and getting to that point where they can both look at their stories and look at where they want to go together and how can we actually get there because we both may not have frame of reference for this new transition. That's right. And then imagine if that couple instead went away for, I don't know, two days a week with a whole heap of couples who were 30, 40 years older including some who'd been divorced and spent time listening to those couples and their stories about when they were young married couples or had young children. And then that same couple who you mentioned sat and talked about what's my story and where did that come from and, you know, how are we going in our marriage and what's working, what could we be doing differently? Let's create a vision together. What do you need? What do I need? Let's talk about it from a mature place. Because what happens is, you know, when the conflict happens, it doesn't happen from a mature place. It happens from a 12-year-old place. Everybody knows this. I mean, I had it last night with my partner. I'm like, 
I'm being a child, she's being a child, and it's like, this is ridiculous, but we're doing it. And so, you know, we need to then take some time out and actually talk about it and own our own stuff. We have the capacity. It's not like, you know, it's not this great invention that has to be created. It, it's already there. We, we already we have rites of passage wound into our society. So birthdays are a rite of passage that acknowledge the transition from one age to another. Graduations are a rite of passage. Marriages are a rite of passage. Funerals are a rite of passage. And, and so some of them we have, and they're pretty healthy, and some of them have been transformed in, and they're actually really unhealthy. As I said, schoolies I consider to be a really unhealthy rite of passage. But the bottom line is that we can be creating right, healthy rites of passage in our schools and in our adult years, and it would make a huge difference if we actually brought them into our lives. Yes, and brought them into our lives at every stage. I'm thinking about the work that I do with educators. I do a program called Energy by Design, and for four weeks we work on the topic of how do we manage our energy because it's really hard to make good decisions. It's really hard to be with young people when we're exhausted. So how can we give ourselves permission to be human and manage our energy? And I've noticed from running the program over the years that the most powerful element is the weekly sessions where we're talking together and seeing teachers from Queensland, Tasmania, Victoria, from all over the place sharing their stories. And some are graduate teachers, some have been teaching 20 years, and seeing that look on their face of, oh, I thought it was just me who found this hard. And seeing that, oh, it's a thing. It's not just me, it's everybody. And then creating that beautiful vision of what's possible. And the other thing is that when you get a group sharing their stories, not only do we get that realisation, but we build community. Because when you hear someone's story, especially when someone shares a vulnerable story, it actually creates empathy. So we have this great fear that if we're vulnerable, people won't like us because they'll see us as less or whatever or smaller. But the reality is, and there's strong research around this, that when someone is vulnerable for the other people, it actually opens up their hearts and it becomes loving. And so it is actually through sharing vulnerability that we build strong, caring communities. And the number one need of people at all ages is a sense of belonging. And once again, there's lots of research that the worst prognostic indicator for a person's health is isolation. And we know with children, they need that belonging so badly that if they can't belong to a healthy community, they would rather belong to an unhealthy community than no community at all. Story sharing is the most simple, beautiful and powerful way of creating community and sense of belonging. So for educators listening to this, what could we be doing to support our young people to take the next step? What are some daily actions that we could really acknowledge these micro transitions and some of the big ones? There, there are two different things. There's daily things that we can do and then there are actually events that we can do. So for educators, I'd start with the event side of things. I'm very interested in school camps because they are the perfect opportunity. And most school camps are actually activities-based. You know, we go bushwalking, then we go kayaking, then we go abseiling, kids start late at night, get them home after two, three, four, five days, tick, we've done a camp. 
I would like that they did about half the activities, but then every night they have a story sharing circle where the kids get to share their stories about where they grew up and, and their families and different things. And the stories will go to different depths at different ages for the children, but there's all sorts of things that we could do around fires in the evening at school camps and including challenging the students to who do you want to be moving forward and what behaviours do you need to, you know you need to let go of. And they'll tell you if you create a safe, appropriate environment with some basic ground rules, one person speaking at a time, it's a confidential circle, things like that, they'll share in the right environment when they're away from school and away from their mobile phones and things. So we could do so much more on camps. The sorts of things that we can do day to day is things like, you know, we can even have, we can do stories in class. How fabulous if each student had to do an assignment on, you know, the history of their family and then present it. So once a week you get two students who have shared about their family and their history and everyone's going to have a story in there. And then by the end of term one or term two, every student shared their story. And then the other thing is that can be done a lot more in classes is what we call honouring, which is just genuinely looking for and acknowledging the gifts, the things that students do well. Simple as you might do it on a kid's birthday or you might do it just work through the class once again. But maybe Friday afternoon, two students get to sit at the front of the class and one at a time, maybe the teacher starts and tells his student, the things that they see that they like about them, they admire, the gifts they see they have. And then some of the other students could say, hey, you know, Johnny, this is what I really love about you and this is what I see your gifts are and we're practising identifying what's inside the person. So we're not validating them because they're like a TikTok character or a Snapchat character. We're actually validating them for who they are and what we've seen them do. And then it You know, you hear kids being validated for being empathetic because when I came to school and didn't know anyone, you were the one who showed me around. Noticing and naming those sorts of things, as simple as that, changes their lives, changes their relationships with each other. And then, you know, one of the things we've had to do in our work is actually parenting strategies, and it comes down to teaching strategies even, that when the students have a problem, Instead of telling them what to do, we ask them what their ideas are. You know, see if they can come up with a solution and and then help them explore that idea and, you know, work with them so that we start to teach them. You know, these are some of these critical 21st century life skills to be able to solve problems that you don't think you can solve, to be able to have insights. So I actually think there's a lot we can do, and the shift is happening where we're realising, hey, school has to be about a hell of a lot more than just an academic outcome in year 12. Which, by the way, when I went to school, it was all about an academic outcome in year 12. Nothing else was considered important. And now there's a big realisation going on that, and even there's research showing that the year 12 academic outcome, that final score, is not the main determinant of a student's future success. It's actually these 21st century life skills and their well-being which is going to determine how successful they are in the future. 
Without a doubt. And all of those examples that you've shared have really highlighted how much power we have as educators to do things differently. And even thinking about camp, yes, there's so much activities. It's just going, going, doing, doing more, more. And can we think about slowing down and creating more opportunities for connection, for being, for thinking, for reflecting? And the same in our classrooms. And as you were sharing that, I was thinking then, Imagine if staff had the same opportunity in the staff room to share their stories with each staff, what schools they've taught at, if they've got children, if they've got aged parents at home and really sharing this human element so we can really wrap around each other and support each other. We have to. We have to. Staff wellbeing is currently the biggest problem in the entire education system. I'm in this field and I hear it time and time again, overwhelmed, underappreciated, underpaid, just don't want to have to do another thing. Oh, you've got this new idea. Well, I'm sorry, can't even cope with what we're doing and you're just loading another thing on top without taking anything away. We absolutely have to be addressing that. And, you know, it's like imagine, there's a lot of imagine talk we're going on with here, which is fantastic. Imagine if once a month, Twice a term, the students in a class sat together and they had a circle once a month and they just shared, they had a check-in. What's going on? What's going well? What are they doing well at the moment? Anything difficult? A check-in. And we actually have a framework for a check-in. And each person gets to talk for five minutes or three minutes. And imagine if the staff, once a month, you know, they're in a group of 10 or 20 and and they'd sit once a month and just have a check-in. How's it going? You know, one one month it might be sharing your story. Another month it might be what are some things you'd like to change. Another month it might be, you know, where would you like to see yourself in a year's time? A simple process that went through the students, went through the staff, would actually change the entire culture over a period of time. And this is what we are talking about. We're talking about culture change in classrooms, in staff rooms, in families and wider cultural change to really highlight that we are human on a staircase and everybody's transitioning at different times. And I think about that more and more because the educators that I work with, they generally have the pressures of school life, but they also have the pressures of home life and that's not going anywhere and that's just getting bigger and bigger. So they're going through that transition of how do I be an educator, be a parent and also parent without my parent being alive anymore like this never ends correct and have no support and feel like I should be doing what I was doing before the event so for example when teachers come back to school life after having their first child and they're so upset with themselves because their classroom doesn't look like it used to or their lessons aren't like what they were because their life has changed their capacity has changed and they can't be at school now till seven o'clock it's not a reality they've got to get to daycare to pick up a child and feed and bath and do all the things. Well, this is a perfect place as we're moving towards the end of this interview, which is that the last part of a rite of passage, there are three stages. First is a separation from your normal environment. The second is the transformation, which involves stories, a challenge, vision, and this recognition. And the third stage is actually integration. It's actually how you bring people back into the community. You know, we'll look at your example. A teacher goes away, has a baby, comes back, and it's like, bang, they're back at work. 
Of course, that's a problem. What should happen is they should come back and for the first day or week, they should share their story about having their baby and how their child is and what's been going well and what's been difficult and what's their current situation at home so that everybody actually knows where they're at and what they've been through and that they're different. And then they're much more likely to get the support and to feel comfortable. But they, they come back and there's almost a denial that anything's changed. My greatest example of that is I went overseas at the end of school for a year, the most powerful, impactful year of my entire life, and I came back and there was nothing. In fact, I walked into my house and my mum said, you know, she was obviously incredibly happy to see me, and she said, dinner's in an hour and put your washing in the, in the laundry and uh, that's it. And I'm like, no, I've changed. You know, I can do my own washing and I'm used to living out of home. And my friends would see me and go, hey, Anna, how was a year away? And I'd go, great. And they'd say, oh, that's fantastic. We're going down the park to kick the footy. You want to come? And we're going out Saturday night to the pub we always go to. I'm like, oh, no, I just want to be out of here. No, inside, I was completely different, but there was no integration. And that's actually not okay. So when we do these events, we have to create the integration We have to create the process so the community actually knows the individual is on a new step and will therefore be different and therefore needs to be treated and seen differently. Yes, that is such a powerful point, I think, of how many schools have amazing experiences in Year 9 where students go away, they've had this separation, they've transformed, they've done jobs, they've contributed, and then they come back and it only takes a term or two and they're back to the way that they were before they left because that integration piece, it's been hard for the adults around them to be with that transition and allow them to be more capable and more independent. So I think that's a really crucial point for all of us to think about. And the greater the event that any person goes through, if it's not recognised and there's no integration, the greater the, the event, the more potential there is for wounding by not being seen because if I've done all this work from to move from one step to the next and I come back into my community and I'm still seen as being on that original step, that is distressing. That's not okay in my psyche because my psyche's moved but I haven't been seen. And that's why a lot of people struggle to go back to if they grew up in a small town, they go back. Nothing's changed and everybody sees them like they were when they were 17, even though they're now 40, 50 years old. Or, you know, when I came back from overseas, as I said, all I wanted to do was go away again. And what should have happened is I should have come back and there should have been a big gathering and I could have shown all of my pictures or slides and uh, told people my stories about my adventures and my girlfriend and where I got in trouble and things that happened and then people go, oh, wow, you know. You're a young man now. You can look after yourself. You can do these things. You're not a little boy anymore who needs in the same way. And, you know, I work with some of the big schools who do these big retreat programs for their students and the students come back and there's no integration. And, and when they track their well-being, they see that before their, their year nine program, their well-being is dropping. They go away. They have this big increase in the well-being because they're away and they're doing these fantastic things and they're being independent. They come back to school and they're treated like all the other students and their well-being plummets. And once again, it could be done so differently if we're just aware of it. 
Like how do we integrate these young ones back in the school? It's not hard to do if we know we have to do it. Yes, and this conversation is all about this awareness piece, being aware of where we are in time and space, where others are in time and space. And once we are aware, it doesn't have to be complex, but just bringing our awareness to it and knowing that we're not alone. We're not the only one going through a transition and everybody's in some way, shape or form in their own transition at different stages. So to wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Yes, but before I do, I just need to say something. Yeah. In terms of gifts and genius and talent, I just want to say to you, Meg, you have a really beautiful interview style and you are really on it. I really admire how when we're interviewing, it's like, uh, it's, it's almost like a dance and uh, I love the way you're so into the topic and passionate about it and you're prepared to give your own examples and, and be vulnerable about it and it's just a pleasure and I find, because I get interviewed a lot, that by you being how you are, it actually takes me a lot further in what I share and, and even how I look at it. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. That's um very kind. I am inspired by. Uh, I am inspired by people who are prepared to really go for it and think outside the box and create new wonderful things. When life feels hard? When life feels hard, I go back to the basics and I do my exercise and I try and eat well and get enough sleep and ride it out because I actually know it's a way. It will pass. An underrated skill is? The ability to really listen. And I am looking forward to? I'm looking forward to time off at the end of the year. I'm just lining up a week, 10 days with my partner down the beach, and I've said to her, let's not get the least amount of time to feel like we've gone away. Let's get the most amount of time that we can and try and at either end and to go away and not be on my phone, not be doing emails, not be half working while I'm there and just have genuine time out, sleeping if I want to, read books if I want to, go for walks on the beach if it's nice. I'm really looking forward to that. Gosh, I feel like I'm looking forward to that and I'm not even going. That just feels so good. (laughs) (laughs) Anna, thank you for the work that you are doing, bringing awareness to the fact that we're all on a step and life is a series of steps is so powerful and so profound. And I'm excited to think about that world where it's commonplace and practice to take time to separate to share stories and to reintegrate and continue that healthy development as individuals and as a community. So thank you for your work and thank you for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Meg. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about the ways you can celebrate and honour the various life stages and transitions that you and the people you live and work with are experiencing. To learn more about Anna and the Rites of Passage Institute, visit the website ritesofpassageinstitute.org. There you'll be able to view a range of camps that are open to the public, including Young Warrior for children aged 8 to 10, Making of Men for teen boys, Mother and Son, 
mother and daughter camps. These are wonderful opportunities to separate ourselves from the everyday stresses of life, to engage in meaningful conversations, share stories, experience transformation, and then reintegrate to the world. If you would like to amplify the rites of passage in your school community, visit the website to learn about the professional development and training opportunities that will show you how the rites of passage framework can really make a difference in your school community. If you love this episode, please share it with anyone you think would benefit from hearing Anna's insights into the stages and transitions of life. To learn how I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak at your next professional development day or learn more about Energy Bar Design, my game-changing wellbeing program for educators. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 63. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.